You're listening to audio from Plank Row Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankrowharvest.org. Okay. Well, thank you for the gift. I'll, I'll look at that in a moment. If I read it now, I might cry and embarrass myself. I, I got to tell you, I do have one. Let me tell you first about the music. And I appreciate the songs we sang this morning, and I hope you do too. A lot of people think, you know, you sing Christmas songs. I will tell you that the, the uh, uh, I don't listen to Christian radio during the month of December because they play, the, they quit preaching almost and just play Christmas music, which is kind of annoying. However, I do appreciate the fact that the, the songs that we sang this morning, where did that, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given? Where did that come from? Is that New Testament or Old Testament? That's Old Testament, that's in Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. <coughs> Um, that's an Old Testament scripture, and I appre- appreciate the beautiful star of Bethlehem. We ought to sing that every week till you guys get that down. You need to put the most country twang on that possible. That's when it sounds the best, just so you know. Um, got a few northerners in here that don't understand how that song's supposed to be sung. However, I appreciate it, Jed. That was good, good choices this morning. The idea of Christmas music... I think it gets lost sometimes, but the idea is to prepare the way for the messenger. The messengers are supposed to be messaging. That's you. And I pray that you'll do that um, over this next month. I got to tell you something, and uh, I'm going to tell you, this is one of those works that's difficult. Did Hope ever show up? There she is. Okay. So they're moving. They're having to move from the trailer that they're in. And I will tell you, that that's a tough work to help them move. If anyone is up for that tomorrow, I will not be here. I'm sorry. I would help if I could. It's, it's going to be some rough work. We can use the church trailer. We, being you, can use the church trailer to help, um, help move. They're moving out uh, Vandiver Way, and I might have to get some of you Vandiverians to, to maybe bring her since you're out that way, if you would, um, once she gets moved out there. But um, uh, if anybody would be down for that tomorrow... Would, they would greatly appreciate that. Her mom's a little bit uh, um, disabled in a sense, and it'd be hard for her to kind of lift mattresses and stuff like that. If you'll come talk to me afterward, I'll set it up for tomorrow, and you guys can help her do that. That would be a great blessing. As a member of our church, maybe we can help Hope and, and just be a blessing to that family. I know you got other stuff that you probably want to do and could do, but maybe you can find the time, give them a couple hours, and help them get that going. Come talk to me after church, and we'll, we'll make a plan if you want to do that. Okay, so I'm hoping everyone had a a good Thanksgiving. I want to use the scripture. I did not get this erased. Please forgive me. The scripture we're going to be at today is, uh, well, those ones are dark and scary. We'll use a bright, oh, no, we've got green. We'll use blue. John, we're going to be in John chapter 10 today. John 10. Okay, and we're going to be reading a good part of that as we'll see uh, a Christmas feast that Christ was at. And I pray everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Anybody have the opportunity to read Psalm 103 to family members? Tell them about the blessing. Anybody do that? 
Man, that's good students out there. I appreciate that. Um, anybody have a, uh, an opportunity to share the gospel over Thanksgiving or to talk about spiritual things like that? Henry did back there. Brother Mark did. It's good. Okay, Linda. Linda's want some. Good job, Linda. I appreciate you guys doing that. We need to be confident in that, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. I was watching, uh, uh, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. You can verify that with my wife. I watch an occasional program with her in the evenings about once or twice a week maybe. Uh, last night we watched The Love Boat. That's the kind of deep stuff we watch. And uh, Renetta fell asleep before the boat uh, reached its port. And uh, so, uh, But anyway, the commercial on this rerun of The Love Boat was from a, a company called Home Goods, which I'm not a, a familiar with, but um, Jed was. <laughs> so I don't know if it's ladies' goods or, <laughs> or masculine things. Maybe it's all hunting knives and stuff like that, Jed. I'm not sure. But however, it starts off with, we want to welcome you something to, to remember the reason for the season. And the reason for the season, according to Home Goods, is shopping. And that's what it said. It made no bones about the reason of the season is shopping. And the reason for the season back in the day when... I mean, say 20 years ago, 25 years ago, maybe, it became very popular to, to put that out there as a little sign in your yard, remember the reason for the season, you know, and to point people to Christ. And no longer uh, is that the case. As, as time has gone on, it's become very blatant in most of advertising and so on that uh, the reason for the season is anything but Christ. Everything's about the materialism or secularism or whateverism that's going on. And uh, so we just, we just passed Thanksgiving, and now we're at this holiday that every child dreams of and every store prepares for and every parent kind of dreads as you go and try to find this perfect gift for someone that they a lot of times even kind of, you know, you know, curl their nose at the gift you picked for them. And, um, and it's now become this thing about the world and, and accumulating more stuff rather than the, the king of kings or so on. But I want you to see this, this winter holiday that's specifically mentioned in John chapter 10, and it's not the holiday that you think it is. Jesus wasn't going to Jerusalem to have a big birthday party for himself. It wasn't the point. It was actually the holiday now called Hanukkah. And uh, I just want you to, to see it. I'm not trying to demean Christmas or demean you buying Christmas presents for your kids or, or whatever you do for Christmas to celebrate that at all. Um, but I just want you to see this so that maybe it can help you get your focus right before the season. It seems kind of weird to do this way back in November, um, but it's about preparation, and that's what we're going to see about this holiday of, uh, that falls in the winter in the book of John. Let's start at John chapter 10, verse 7. And Jesus said to them again, John 10, 7, Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. 
them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Therefore there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon, and he is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, they're not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Listen, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered unto them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So Jesus, in, in this prior to this, I just want you to see this holiday here, but prior to that, he describes himself as both the door to the sheepfold and as the good shepherd, the one that guards the door, but also the one that leads the sheep into the sheepfold and for their protection. And a number of the I am statements that are produced all in the book of John, the seven I am statements, the one that comes prior to this one is the I am the light of the world. But it's not connected to the Feast of Dedication, which we know of as Hanukkah, where we have the menorahs and all that. It's not connected to that holiday. You would think it would be. But it's actually connected to tabernacles. So that's where he's, he's the living water, where they bring the water up on the last day of the tabernacles. And then he's pointing to the big menorah that's in front of the uh, temple. And he's pointing to that and saying, I'm the light of the world. Uh, that light represents me. I am that light. That's what the light is. When, when that light was produced by you way back in Moses' day, that was a picture of me to come. And so that was before this, God with us. He's already dwelling with them. He's, he's with them already. Um, but this feast of dedication that we know of as uh, Hanukkah uh, is, a different, is a different picture. Now all of the feasts, now this is not an ordained feast by God in the Old Testament. Hanukkah is not. However, Jesus still completes it. So in a sense, God is like, I'm going to allow this to happen so that they have yet another picture of the Messiah to come, and they won't even know it. And I want to show that to you today. So I want to really focus on this one word, and that's this word dedication. And we'll talk about Hanukkah only because um, where it falls this year, it falls 18 to 26 December. If you want to celebrate it or you want to put a menorah up, that's up to you. Um, but I just want you to consider more this picture of the menorah there and this feast of dedication. So what the Jews had endured up to this point was the Greeks had come after, so we got the Babylonians and then, and then they get usurped by the Greeks ultimately. And, and when the Greeks came, they pulled a, a, a different kind of authoritarian rule on the Jews. What they did was they took what the Jews thought most important, which was their worship. So they would already separate themselves from the idols. God finally breaks them of that. They had already separated themselves. They're back to worshiping on the Sabbath like they were supposed to. They're, they're doing what's right again. They're kind of limping along and they're kind of wimpy uh, third-rate temple that they built with Nehemiah and Ezra in that time. 
and they're just doing their thing, but God has taken their authority away from them as far as, not that they're not the chosen people, but he's taken their status away from their kingdoms away, and they've allowed other people to be kings over them because they aren't doing well ruling themselves. He wants them to be completely reliant on him. So he takes one kingdom after another over them. And then when this Greek kingdom comes in, ultimately ending with Antiochus Epiphanes, but these other guys that come before him, they they really push the Jews to get into this idol worship. So they really attack them spiritually more than physically. They're already in control over them. They're not allowed to have any weapons. Um, and they're already under the, the, the Greeks' control. But, but in this, ultimately, because they won't bow the knee, we have Antiochus Epiphanes come and he sacrifices a, a pig in the holiest of places in the temple. And this just really, I mean, it's almost like forced idol worship. If you're not going to worship the idols we're telling you, we'll tarnish your temple to the point that um, you won't go in there anymore. It's going to have pig blood on it. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be defiled. And um, so then rises up a man named Mattathiu um, Maccabees. Maccabee, not Maccabees. And he has some sons, and these are some bad dudes, all of them. And these guys revolt against the Greeks. And they do a, a dandy job. Mr. Maccabee, his name, if you took all of his Hebrew letters of his last name, it would come out to, um, his name would mean, who is like you among the mighty, O God. That's what his last name means. Uh, Mattatayu or, or uh, Judah, who is like you among the mighty, O God. Instead of Smith, Jed Smith, his last name is a good one, a.k.a. the Hammer. That was, he was also known as the hammer because he was such a bad dude. He came in, he finds, uh, he, they start to sacrifice an unclean animal and try to get a Levitical priest to bow down before it, the, some Greeks do. And he comes up there, he kills both the guy offering the sacrifice and the priest because the priest was weak in, in falling to that idolatry and, and was afraid for his own life. And so rather than defend the faith of the Jews and defend God the Most High, he bows the knee before the thing and Mattathiah is not messing around. He kills them both. And so it begins. So he has these tough sons. He has these tough daughters. And they make it happen. My one favorite guy was the guy that takes on the war elephant and spears it to death. I'm like, that's, that's a man after God's own heart right there, the elephant spearing guy. So these guys were willing to give their own life to restore proper worship to the temple. And ultimately, around B.C. 166, 167, they cleanse the temple and in that time, they find enough oil to light the giant menorah that they find. They find enough oil to light it for one day. But the miracle of Hanukkah is that it lasts for eight days while they have time to prepare more oil so that it can keep it lit all the time like it's supposed to be. So they reestablish temple worship. They goof up a little bit, uh, a lot, in that they establish themselves in the priesthood. And ultimately, God removes them from that in a, in a time further on. But... but uh, but there, I wanted to show you these two menorahs because the menorahs we're talking about, there's two different animals here. If we can show my menorah picture there. We got one in the back there. Okay, so we on the, what would that be? On the right, we have the, the temple menorah. You see it has seven arms, okay? So, and then on the left, we have the Hanukkah menorah, which has nine arms. Some have ten. Got seven, we got nine. They're not the same animal. This one on the right is the one that's the, that represents God and his holiness, his perfect number, seven, 
And then Jesus was able to point to it, and, and there's a lot of things going on there. The fact that it's made of gold, the weight of it, there's a thousand things going on with that menorah I don't want to get tangled up in right now. There's a lot of imagery and things like that that point to God, His holiness, His perfection in the right-hand menorah, the gold menorah. On the left, we have the menorah for Hanukkah. So we have the eight days with the little, the little arms on the side. We have the eight days, and then we have the large central candle in the middle that serves a purpose. So the first thing you do is you light the middle candle. Now you have an option of using the middle candle or they have another candle called the helper that you can light these other candles with. Each one is lit one at a time as the days go on and the candles, the menorahs to be placed in a prominent place in the house where people walking by can see this candle, right? So the center candle is obviously the picture of God and then him proceeding to bring the light to the world across the menorah as the days are, are uh, go by when we light a new candle each day there. And you can leave that picture up there if you will. Um, so the candle in the middle provides the light to all the others. So if you have the first day, all you got is this candle in the middle, but you got to light the one on the side. So you need the light to be able to light the light. So the first light, it stays lit. And then we light the first light. And then the next day we light two lights. The next day we light three lights. We keep them lit. And like I said, on some of these, they have a little side hanger that has a little candle in it or a little oil lamp, and it's called the helper, which is an excellent picture of the Holy Spirit because what does he do to the, to the individual believer as he ignites that, that glow in them, right, that light that's supposed to be produced out of it, the helper? So he lights the candle so we can use God the Father in this picture here and his working on the other candles as he lights them as they go across, we can use the helper candle to light them. God using the helper candle lights those other candles there. It's a pretty neat picture. Sadly, many Jews that see this every year and are very adamant about doing this, they started doing this about 100 years or so after uh, the Maccabean Revolt. So, But before the time of Christ, the, before the day of Christ maybe, but not by long, and about that time, they started using the, the personal menorah in the thing in their homes. But like I said, many Jews don't see that, um, the idea of that, of the Father, and the, or they see that center candle as God maybe, but they don't see the working of it, especially with the helper there. So anyway, so the Father sits on the throne there in the center, providing his light in order that the days of the feast may be lit by the helper. So it's put in an obvious place. You put it in a window in the front of your house, so that the light that's produced by the menorah can have an effect on the darkness that is outside. It's the only feast that the Jews are really adamant about celebrating openly in order to uh, touch people that are not Jews. This is the one. There's, all the other ones are very private. You go in the synagogue and you have your, your thing and you have your Day of Atonement or you have your Feast of Tabernacles where you set a little hut up in your backyard or front yard and, and, and do your thing there. But this light... This menorah light is designed to shine into the darkness of the world and to demonstrate that this household recognizes God and his power to bring light to darkness. And as each night goes on and, and more light is added, um, maybe there'll be more interest in it. And it was only in times of like persecution and great darkness in the land, like the times of the, of the Nazis or the, what was the time there in Spain? What was that called? The, the Inquisition years. In those years like that, in those years, it was a very small 
you light it, you blow it out. You don't want too much light shining, the neighbors will rat you out, or, um, or the Nazis will come and get you, or the Inquisitors will come get you and, and put you to death. But in days like today, um, it's getting dark, but it, it's not completely dark yet. And the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5. Like now, while you can, light the light. Um, I chose Psalm 30 for us to read this morning. And uh, let me go back over to it. I want to show you something in there that relates to this from David. There's an introduction to this psalm that's in every Bible because it was Scripture. Now, your introduction may, you may have a little uh, heading over your psalm that may be different. Um, somebody read me a heading. That, not the introduction, but the heading where it says psalm, like a praise for the God of something or something like that. Has anybody got a little heading like that on Psalm 30? There you go. The blessedness of answer prayer. That's not Scripture. That's a guy's take on the the psalm, okay? But if you go down, Psalm 30 says, this is scripture, a psalm, a song at the dedication of the house of David. It's important to recognize that there's scripture and then there's man's view of what this thing should say. But this is scripture. This psalm was a song at the dedication of the house of David. Now, this house of David, some say the temple of David, some say the ark of David. This house is David's view of the temple of God that's yet to be. Because David's before the temple, if you recall. Um, it's yet to be built. It may have been the, and it may be related to that 2 Samuel 6, 17, by the way, where he, he gets the ark and he has to cover it for a time until he can get it back. It may be in that moment that he's talking about this, this temple here. But it says... I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made supplication. Supplication is not just prayer for yourself. It can be prayer for, it generally is prayer for others. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You've turned, me, you've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I'll give thanks to you forever. Before the temple of Solomon could be built... The way of preparation, the way of dedication had to be established by David. It was to come. The temple was to come. But because David was so bloodthirsty, and he was doing as he was commanded by God, but maybe he went too far at times, and because of some sin, but primarily because of his bloodthirstiness is what God says, he wasn't allowed to build the temple. But what he could do was he could get all the stuff together to build the temple. So he gathers gold and silver and bronze and precious stones. He gathers cedar. He gathers contractors. He gathers alliances with other nations to help. He, he prepares the Levitical priesthood. He prepares the singers. He does all the stuff. All Solomon has to do is push the, the go button. What's the button there at Staples? That one. You just got to push the red button there, and Solomon does it. It's all dedicated it's all prepared it's already been blessed it's already been cleansed it's already been you know de-leavenized it's already been uh kept set apart it's ready but he can't do it because god's tied his hands but he's ready 
to David, the tabernacle was something that was tangible and it was there, but he wanted more. He wanted a temple for God that was better and higher than this, uh, you know, porpoise skin covered tabernacle. I mean, I, I don't know what the tabernacle smelled like, but if you can imagine all the skins, and they're all in the sun all the time, and I'm sure it had a, a bit of an odor, and they had the incense and all those things, so maybe that was to cover the odor somewhat. Dead animals and so on. He wanted a temple temple. His desire was for a place on earth as it is in heaven. He wanted to go to a place to worship God that was much better than the best that man could do. And the first, taber- uh, the first temple of Solomon's was so fantastic that when the men came and saw just the foundation laid, that they wept at the second temple, knowing that there's no way it could match even what had been degraded from Solomon's temple. These huge gold-covered um, columns that were in the front, ever how many feet tall? 30, 60, I think 90 feet tall, I believe it was what it was. It, they were enormous, covered with gold, gold everywhere. And... Uh, and the second one's just, you know, visible stone, and, and it was just pathetic in comparison. He wanted it on earth as it was in heaven. He wanted to imagine God's throne and use the pictures of all the, the ones that God had given to those um, specific tool builders back in Moses' day. He wanted it for the whole, he wanted the whole shebang. Not just the stuff inside. He wanted the outside to look as good as the inside. It was a big deal to him. So what seems to be going on with this Psalm 30 This is a bit of a stretch. I'm not trying to stretch the word. I just want you to think about this. But the father was lighting this first little David candle right here. He was taking his light and he was trying to pass it to David that David could pass it on and get this light going and get this reflection of himself going. And and I was thinking about it. It's not just lighting the candle. It's relighting the candle. The candle is designed to be lit like the one at the temple. It's designed to be lit and stay lit. But candles wear out and they melt down and the the wick burns up and so on. And they have to be reestablished and relit. And that's often the case with any believer that we go through these times of high and low satisfaction in Christ, you know, reading the word, doing ministry. You know, Jed and I, we we went to this trip recently to Peru, and you both go, you go there, and you're energized by the things that you see, and you see people saved, you see people baptized, you see people in the church, you know, running to try to help, um, um, and make more, and do more, and reach more, and spread out more, and then you come here, and you, and you don't, you don't get the same view, everybody's so busy doing their own thing, that they're not really focused on proclaiming the word of God to the nations, or going out and lighting other candles, um, and so it can it can take some of that spiritual energy, so to speak, not to get in too too left wing, too new agey for you, but it can kind of take some spiritual energy from you. You're like, man, how come these people ain't lit? And so you try to light them on Sunday morning. We try to relight you each week, and try to. And by the time you get limp in here Sunday morning, the next week you're just barely flickering and you're out of wax or you're out of oil. And we got to pour new oil in there, right? But we're supposed to be filled with the spirits, the oil of the Holy Spirit, the unction or the oil of the Holy Spirit, and it's an ongoing thing. But it just took a while for the remainder of those lights to be lit. It takes all the way to the time of Christ. And right before Christ, we end up with the same thing. And, and what I saw, what I see, what I think, 
is that this relighting of the candles, it's an ongoing process that we deal with today. Just like the Grecians uh, really crushing the spirit of the, of the Israelites, of the Jews, by putting these, by, by attacking them spiritually, I don't think we realize how often the things that we see in politics or in, in public or in secular, how it's affecting us spiritually. They're assaulting us, they, the world, the evil one, fleshly men, unsaved people are assaulting us spiritually. It would be easy for me, it would be better for me, if when I went outside, a man jumped up from behind the car and attacked me physically, you know, at least I'd know what I was up against. It's very difficult for us to see the spiritual angle of the things that assault us every day and they peck away at you and they peck away at you and they peck away at you and they beat you down emotionally, you say, but it's spiritually that you're beat. And particularly, if you're quenching the spirit on your own, if you're not refilling, being, being filled day by day by the Holy Spirit, it keeps you down and you have trouble getting back up and you need to be relit. But who does the relighting? It's the father candle or the helper candle. But you can't relight yourself. So we need to be relit. Like I said, we live in a day much like the Maccabees. Spiritually, we're assaulted on every side. Uh, they had a, I can't remember the name of the brand, but they came up with this brand, and it's very popular in uh, Arabic countries, which would made it so odd that they would do this. And in this brand, for this holiday season, they had three or four big, uh, um, man, I wish I could, Valencia maybe was the name. Uh, but anyway, so they made these children dress up in these sexually provocative ways. Then they had these sadomasochistic items laid out around the children, had their stuffed animals dressed up in these things, uh, openly provoking uh, child sex abuse, pornography, and so on. And you think, well, that's just wrong. Well, where's that hurting you? It's hurting you spiritually. Because you're watching things that were once good not be good. And you can't figure out why it's harming you so greatly and so deeply. We're in a day just like the days of the Maccabees. The light of the world is being hidden under baskets because believers see those things and the only thing they do is they, maybe they talk about it in church or maybe they send a little text out to their buddies, can you believe this is out there? And then that's that. But it takes a Judas or a Mattathias or... Elihu in the Old Testament where he goes and spears the guy that was parading his Moabite woman in front of the other people. It takes a guy like that to get people to awaken. And until someone does, and even when someone does do that, a lot of times fellow believers shoot the guy down. I can't believe you're going to make us all look bad. We're not all militant you know, animals. You're making us look bad. So it's assaulting us spiritually. And we've hidden under baskets and the pagans are assaulting the hope of heaven. And they're making Christians watch as temples are defiled by homosexual pastors or transgender this or that, a lesbian, whoever, whatever. And then they take the rainbow, God's blessing to men, that he says he'll never curse the world with a flood again. We watch him drag it through the, the, the septic tank that is the, the homosexual movement and lifestyle. And, uh, and it frustrates us. We watch... The United States do exactly what the Israelite nations did 
They we're giving our wealth away to our enemies that hate us. That's what they did the same thing. Hezekiah brought the Assyrians in and shows them all the wealth. And the prophet comes to him and says, Hezekiah, what are you doing, man? Well, I was just showing us the good stuff. He goes, well, they're going to own all the good stuff. They're going to take it. Well, not in my lifetime, right? No, not in your lifetime, dummy. The next time. He's like, well, good. At least it's not in my lifetime. Christians have been doing that in the U.S. too. At least it, I pray it doesn't happen in my lifetime. I hope the Lord returns in my lifetime so I never have to suffer. But in many Christian houses worldwide, nationwide, I'm proud to say, here I hope, I pray, some father is taking that middle candle and he's lighting the little kid candle down there on the end in order to pass the light. And that's what you got to do. And if you don't do it now, I'm telling you, you're going to be doing it like they were in the Nazi days where you're going to light it and blow it right back out. Because you won't be strong enough to stand up to the persecution. It says that it was in the winter, John 10, 22. I want to read it to you, just this one little part. It was in the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. It was in the winter. They do have wintry weather there, not like we do. Not, you can get snow. They, they got snow in Jerusalem last year. It's not common. It was in the winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. If you could get the picture, the boldness with which Christ walked into the temple like a gunslinger, and he was immediately confronted by the Jews, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, surrounding him, Makes you think you can come in here with your little razzmatazz you're teaching and you're the light of the world, my foot. And he goes immediately to tells them that he's the light of the world and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. One of my favorite verses, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So you're, you, pitiful little dirt that you are, and you are here in the hand of Christ. And his hand is around you. And then it says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. And you're a someone. You're at least an anyone. So you can't even snatch yourself out of there if you're his. And then it says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, which is over his hand, which you're in the middle. And they say, then he says, I and my father are one. And they just lose their minds. If anyone says that Jesus is not God, here's the proof in the New Testament, verse 30, that he says he is God, I and the Father am one. And if you're in the one hand, you're in the other hand. You're by hand, you'll, both hands are upon you, and your squo's in there, and you can't escape. It, but the dying faith of many needed to be relit. And when Jesus walks in there, he's not speaking to those that are hard of heart and of the pastorate, so-called. He's speaking to the sheep. And it said back here that there's some new sheep, other sheep, which that are not of this fold, 10 verse 16, that's you, O Gentile sheep that you are, Jewish sheep. He makes one sheepfold where both can be allowed into the same one if they have him as Messiah. If he is their master, if he's their savior, and go to first John or go to John one. You're pretty close there. Go over to one. John one, and just start at one. We need to be relit. 
these people needed to be relit. The, the day was dark and it was dying and it was, it was down to just the candle in the middle. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, capital L, that all through him might believe. John was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Thank the Lord, because it made a place for you. To come to him but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor the will of man but of God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth the light of the world came to a place where the light had been suppressed the light of the world has come to a place today in you to a place that has been suppressed. Almost enforced darkness. Crushing darkness. And it's coming. And we can see it. And we don't know what to do about it. But he gave to men, it says to every man coming into the world, the ability to receive him as light. To be freed from the darkness and to come into the light. To be filled with the light. And then... To behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the feast of dedication, it's really a feast of rededication. It's a feast of relighting the candle, of re-stimulating the fire that some have. There's a, a what's this little light of mine song? I mean, there's a little, there's a little ember of a flame that needs to be blown into fire. Um, back in the day if you left your house for two or three days back when everybody was cooking with fire and cooking with whatever, so you were gone, say, a week, and you come back, you have no fire. And matches were not necessarily a common thing, particularly here. And so they would send the kid over to the neighbor's house, and the neighbor didn't give you a lit stick of wood. They gave you a coal to bring with you back to your house, and then you have to put the little fuzzy stuff around it and some little thin papery wood around that. And you have to blow on it and blow it into flame to make the fire start again. And then you built your fire off of that coal. Um, the Feast of Dedication, this time of rededication, the temple had already been dedicated. The first temple, Solomon's temple. The tabernacle had been dedicated. The temple dedicated by Solomon. The next temple dedicated by Nehemiah. And now it's been destroyed. Now the Jews are wanting this this temple of Herod, right? It's what they got now. It's crummy. And it's going to be destroyed. And um, even if it's built again, even if it's built again in our lifetime, this temple that the Jews are wanting to build again today, they really do. And they got all the stuff to do it. They already got all the tools for the inside, the Ark of the Covenant and the candelabras and everything. And even if it's built and it's rededicated, the work of bringing the light to a dark world has already been completed. It's already here. And it's an empty worship. I was looking at those, the Muslim men 
And Jewish men, too, keep their head covered. A lot, of, a lot of face, the men keep their head covered. But in our Bible, tells us that Christian men shouldn't have a covering over their head in the fellowship. The woman's to have a covering, either her hair or something else. But the man's not to have a covered head because he's honorable before God to have his head uncovered. But those people are oppressed by darkness and their head is covered. They're pressed down even by the weight of the hat. So every believer that has ever accepted the light of the world is complete already as he's filled with the Holy Spirit so on, but not complete like he'll be complete in eternity, completely justified, completely sanctified. He's justified. He's growing in sanctification now. He'll be complete on that day. And it seems weird maybe to give a message four weeks before Christmas and to sing Christmas songs. It's not even December, Jed, for crying out loud. Those holidays seem really far away, but as you know, you get older, they come a lot faster. As you're a kid, they seem to take forever. But when you're our age, it's like, it's Christmas, it's 4th of July, it's Christmas. It's 4th is just, it's flying, you know. But this is what I want you to hear today, is that in November, before it's December, it's time to rededicate yourself. It's time to prepare yourself so that you can be the messenger. In every um, giant work of God, it says in the devotional, in every big work of God, he sends a messenger beforehand. Before Noah, we have Enoch and, and Methuselah. Before Lot, he sends the angel, right? Um, with Moses, he sends Abraham way before. Then he sends Joseph. Then he sends whoever that comes and tells Moses, the burning bush, there's a messenger before. And then the prophets and, and the judges and the different messengers that speak to the different kings of the judgment to come. And in Malachi, 400 years before Christ. And in John, six months, eight months older than Christ, that he goes before the Messiah is coming. And in Christ, who's the messenger of the Most High God that tells us, <laughs> go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Sons, and the Holy Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have commanded you to do, sending you as a messenger to continue the messenger service that we've been called to do. And it's a good time because now this time is the one month out of the year where like people will let you openly talk about Christ. They may roll their eyes, but they'll hear during this month. So you can be silent or you could just maybe light the one little candle in your front window and hope they don't ask you about it. But it would be better if you spoke openly. openly. Psalm, uh, that's Psalm 30 it comes before Psalm 32, 38, and 51 where David has to be so repentant for all of his foul-ups, right? He needs to rededicate himself. He needs to ask God to cleanse me and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Purify me. God does the work. He goes before. David goes. He says, cleanse me, prepare me, make me so that you can use me. In 51 where it says, if you'll change me and cleanse me, then I will tell sinners that they're on the wrong path. I will teach trespassers about the way. Well, you got to clean me first. So David in, in 30 is dedicating that temple. And as we come to this time, this month of remembrance of the birth of the light, and we work through the excitement of the month and trying to come up with the best present to make our kid the happiest we can possibly make them, we got to come to this moment of rededication first to make sure that our spirit is right before God and in general, that probably involves repentance of some sort, some grudge or some greed or some lie or whatever your thing is. Everybody's got their own thing.
And then with that repentance comes the lighting of that first candle where you're renewed in your spirit to desire to go and light some more candles. Um, and by the progression of letting the light publicly shine before men, um, you allow the helper to work through you to light the lamps of other people that's on the list, that's on the string. We're so in, intro whatever, not introverted, because we like to have fun, talk, and laugh, and carry on. We're not introspective, only in the fact that we only think about ourselves. But it's time, unless you want to be in a time where you're no longer able to light your lamp, it's time to light your lamp and to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So dedicate yourself to the purpose of godliness today. I want to give us a moment um, and give you the opportunity to just silently pray there as you think about the different things um, that you've allowed to conflict in your mind and your spirit and your life that's kept you from hearing the voice of God. Um, I pray that you'll hear today, hear the word like, like the eunuch and go away glad that you'll hear the word and will convict you in spirit. You'll use it, you'll apply it, you'll begin to read the word. You'll begin to speak the word to others that they may have life eternal as well. So before we pray, I would ask that you would, just in a moment of repentance and gratefulness and honor of the Most High God, that you would pray right where you're at, ask him to forgive you of those things and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and to direct your steps in ministry, whatever that is that you're to do. If it's to help hope in her house, if it's to go with those that are going to reach the young people in our community around here, it's to whatever you're supposed to do, help cook, help clean, whatever you're supposed to do. But the idea is to minister to others outside the fellowship as you minister to others inside the fellowship. Got to get your heart right first. Pray where you're at and then we'll close. We're so much like Peter in that we, we're so worried about ourselves, we don't take time to feed the sheep. John uh, 21, it says, when they'd eaten and breaking, uh, eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. A third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Father, I pray for these that are here today that are so busy feeding themselves that they never seek to feed any other sheep than themselves. I recognize that you've called us all to the ministry of the gospel as believers in Christ and, and members of the high priesthood that we have a ministry ahead of us, the ministry that you've called us to, whatever it is. And I pray that as we're here today, Lord, that we've heard your word, we've been convicted in spirit to go and do what is right, 
first to not do it would be sin. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, the capabilities that you've given to each person, the spiritual gifts that you've given to each that's here. They different gifts for different believers. Some prophecy, some tongue, some healing, some administration, some, some serving, some generosity. Father, I pray that we will use our spiritual gifts as you've called us to use them, that we'll seek to save the loss that surrounds us, Lord. I pray for our country today.